At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is a podcast from Minute Media. You're listening to the Eyes on Isles podcast with Matt O'Leary and Mitch Anderson. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Isles podcast, episode number 218. What's going on? I'm Matt O'Leary. He is Mitch Anderson. Mitch, what's up, buddy? I'm, I was telling you I was tired before this, but I don't want to get into that. Let's get into some like weather talk because the weather's always a thing here. I don't understand how this happens, but it was like two degrees. I'm going to tell you Canadian numbers. I don't know American ones. Uh, it was two degrees from 7 a.m. up until 2 p.m. yesterday. And then from 2 p.m. till 11 o'clock at night, it was like 20 degrees. How does it go from a, a plus 18 degrees? That's insane. Yeah, that's a big variance. Um, that's that's wild. But I, if it makes you feel any better, I, I felt that today on Long Island. Like in the morning, it was, okay, it's chilly. Like usually I've been doing like windows open and get like a nice breeze. And it's like, oh, it feels pretty good in here. But I was cold. And I, so I closed them up and I was wearing a long sleeve shirt. And then by, I don't know, afternoon, one o'clock, two o'clock, I was like, I am legitimately sweating. So windows are open, short sleeve shirt is on, and now I feel warm. Like, I, I just can't get right. I thought with the last couple of days, I don't know what it's like for you up there, but it felt like fall was finally here, but that's gone away. Yeah, we're talking about a 64 degree swing in terms of Fahrenheit from 2 p.m. till 3. Like the second the sun came out, and it just unthawed all of our chili bones instantaneously. I hate it. I, it's not that I don't like the heat. It's I hate the kind of like, let's put a toque mitts on and a big coat and, and to go to work. And then you come back from work, all of my kids from school, and they're like ripping their clothes off, dying in sweat. It's just kind of, can we please just make up our mind? Are you going to be cold? Be cold. Yes, absolutely. And I, ironically, Mitch, that's almost a, a good description for how the Islanders started their season. I mean, it was like, what? what is it? What are they going to be uh, through their first three games of the season? Uh, the first two, it might have seemed a little cold. They, they didn't get off to the start that maybe you would have liked. Uh, but in the third game, especially in the third period, came alive. And it was like, okay, there's some, there's some life here. Maybe it wasn't time to panic yet, which... I think that's going to be our first segment of the show this week is getting into just I got the the overreaction, just the overall narratives that were coming out after the first couple of games, why it was crazy to get to that point and just where we are. So where we are now is three games into the season still, a whole 79 games to play, 79. 
So what is the math on that? Of course, not a math podcast. Ian in the Discord is going to be hating me right now because he could do this number quick. 158 points still up for grabs. And people are like, oh, my God, it's over. We're done. And like, it didn't look good. But like, that's where we are. We still have 158 points to play for here. Yeah, absolutely. And there's clearly a, a ton of time, but... The first two games clearly didn't want go the way the Islanders were hoping for. They bled goals. 11 goals through two games, Mitch. That is very un-Islanders-like. Why do you think that was? <sighs> I feel like it was a lack of defensive structure, which is hor- like the, the worst nightmare in Barry Trotz's life, I'm sure. Because that's their bread and butter is being sound defensively, but they were everything but that. Well, I shouldn't even say everything but that. It's their problems stemmed from their lack of being able to hold the D zone. Either if gap control wasn't there, they weren't able to clear the front of the net, or they didn't know who was supposed to be where covering whom in their own zone. And and for a, a team that relies on that being their like modus operandi. That's a big problem, right? Like they allow teams to come in and come in at waves at them and saying, we're good if you come at us. You're not going to get much if you do, except the first two games. That's not what happened at all. No. And I agree with you, which it sounds kind of crazy because it's like, okay, this is what year four of Barry Chats, but history shows it's happened every year. They start slow. It, it takes a little bit for them to get in their groove. And then once they do, Normally, I don't know, they rattle off, what was it, a 17-game point streak or something crazy a couple of years ago? Yeah, they, they usually balance th- things out. Sorry, I'm trying to turn the volume off on my phone here because I didn't do it beforehand. And um, I, I, I'm i really growing frustrated with this phone because it, it is just wonky to bits. Either way, yes, they turn it around. They, they figure it out because I don't know what it is about the Barry Trot system. It just takes a while for people to get it. Even people who've been here for a while, Scott Mayfield, Ryan Pollock, Andy Green to a lesser extent, but still had no idea what they were doing over the first two games. And two of those guys have been here for the four full years. Right. And one of them just got paid a big contract. Not saying that, you know, Ryan Pollock's not deserving or anything like that. It's great. We're happy that he is extended here, but it's sometimes you're going to start slow. It just happens. And do you think part of it is they've played so many high stakes games over the last couple of years and went on deep playoff runs that it's almost hard to get motivated when there's 82 games before you have a uh, playoffs again? Or am I looking too much into it? No, I think there's always something to that. Like they're all professional athletes and they're all playing hard. But there's, there is always, an, hockey's an emotional game. Every, every sport is an emotional game. Um, so there's always an emotional component to this. And yeah, of course, you're going to look at this and say like, oh, it's game two and I'm in Florida. I don't really, I'm not really ready to get this going. Right, they, they need a, like, like in French, we say an événement déclencheur. Something to just hit and go like, this is where I'm going to start my stand and run with it. Um, and, and they haven't had that yet. Right, like the season starts cool, but you're in Carolina. Ugh. You're in Florida then. And then you go all the way to, where, where do they go to? Game three, Chicago. Chicago, Columbus. Nice. Right, and then back out west to Arizona, Vegas. Apparently that's the one I can remember. Um, it, it kind of, it doesn't let you hit the ground running on the year, right? Like you, you've got that delayed start for almost a full month, right? They're not going to hit their own barn until November 20th. 
that's when I think they're going to really start to get things into gear emotionally. But before that, they need to sort things out structurally. And that's the problems we saw in the first two games. Yeah, without a doubt. I think it's just kind of on this extended road trip, just figuring out, okay, you know, let's get into our structure here. Uh, and it wasn't perfect against Chicago. I know they came away with a, with a big win. They, you know, they won pretty handedly. But for most of that game, it, it wasn't perfect. But the biggest difference was finally they got Ilya Sorokin to make some big saves. Because through the first two games, I think he was fourth, third or fourth worst in goal saved above average. Like it was a really rough start for him, specifically the second one. The first one, I thought the Islanders let him out to hang out to dry a little bit more. But in that second game, it wasn't it just wasn't his best performance. No, it was it was really bad. And I know Barry Trotz said that you know he wasn't as bad as it looked. Well, it looked pretty bad, Barry. It didn't look great at all. He he wasn't fighting the puck. Oh, sorry, he was fighting the puck too much and and not really covering the angles as well as he normally did. And it's not to say that he was horrendous and he was the reason they lost, but he certainly wasn't helping them, uh, which was not the case in Game Three, where he very much helped them. Um, but there, there, was, there were a few issues there in, in game one and two, specifically with Ilya Sorokin. And obviously you have people the second that a goalie does a bad job. It's like, where's Varley? Bring me Varley. And you're going, I don't, maybe Varley helps, right? Maybe Varley papers over a few cracks here. But there are a lot of cracks to paper over in the performance in those first two games that I'm not sure Varley or any goalie would have done it unless he literally stood on his head for a whole 120 minutes. Yeah, and, like, look, I'm not going to be naive. At this point in their careers, Varlamov is the better goalie. Um, I don't mean that as a slight against Ilya Sorokin. I think he's been good through his first year plus, even though it wasn't really a full year, but still. Um, I I just think he's still a young enough guy where he's going to have those kind of streaks. He's He's been known to do that. Last year, he started slow, and then he kind of hit his groove, and then there were a couple other points where you know he wasn't at his best, where at this point in Varley's career, I just feel like he's a little bit more established and kind of, I don't know, staying on the same kind of plane. It's not so much peaks and valleys with him. Um, but like you kind of got to get Sorokin through that. Like You can't just baby him the whole time and then just hand over the reins to him when... Varlamov is gone either after this year or after next year when his contract expires. But I don't love the, oh, he our, our goalie struggled and we just have to hope and pray Simeon Varlamov comes back. I don't think that's necessarily fair on Sorokin either. No, no, it's not. You have to put him in a better situation. And it's like I said, you got to get that, that system running in front of you to help him. Um, so... There, there are a few issues there, obviously, games one and two. And, and so, like, people were obviously on, on the ledge here. And that, that's part and parcel with what happens when you're a cup contender, right? Like, you go into the season and all you hear is cup contending, cup contending, cup contending, and rightfully so, uh, that when things go not only just wrong, but horribly wrong through more than just one game in a row, you know, people's faith is shook. Right. So yep. it's just, uh, yeah, they start thinking like, oh, my God, were we all wrong to think what we thought just like a couple of weeks ago? No, no, you weren't wrong to think that. But like, obviously, those first two games says that that's not necessarily true. But we're talking about two games here. 
Right, but the funny thing is, I feel like there's a big portion of, especially Isles Twitter, who mailed it in early last year and like, oh, maybe this team is already, you know, past their window. The windows, remember that conversation? Did the Islanders miss their window? Which, again, well, us on this show, we were talking about how that was a, a ridiculous take, but that was a legitimate conversation last year. And then ne- next thing you know, they're in game seven of the conference final, essentially against the Tampa Bay lightning. So yeah, the first two games were really bad. Zidane Chara was really bad. That doesn't mean that he's going to be, you know, banished to Timbuktu now and never see the ice again. Barry Trotz doesn't operate that way. That was another thing. I just didn't understand. He's going to bail out on his defensive plan because it didn't go well in the first two games. What? Come on. I had like two games in immediately after a full training camp where you're supposed to be evaluating these players to say either they're good or not. And then they're like, oh, God, yeah, no, we're good. Peace out. I, I Not to say that, you know, maybe later on down the road, they realize like, oh, he cannot hack a full 82 game season. Then maybe they make a change. Maybe they, they trade for someone. Um but to, to just kind of like, it's done, we're done, we're toast. It just feels like everyone had their, their maybe not everyone, but the people who, who were on the ledge had their hand on, on the it's all it's all awful button, like just, just hovering over waiting for their opportunity to do so. All right. Doesn't that feel like a conversation that you have in, I don't know, December or January and be like, hey, this Chara thing isn't working out? Like, I feel like that's not something that after two, three games where you're saying, oh, yep, this is definitely this guy definitely cannot play at this level anymore. Yeah, but that's that's sport, though, right? Like where if things don't go well within like immediately, it's about immediate gratification, right? If it doesn't go well, then that's it. I remember back in I forget what year it was. I was I was in a, a bandmate's car and he's a Montreal Canadiens fan because, well, I'm in Canada and there's a lot of those here. Um and it was four games into the season and Montreal was not doing well. And they had cup aspirations then. And then the first caller comes in, c'est fini, c'est fini Jean-Guy, you put cup. And it's like, it's done. We're not, we're not going to the cup. And the, the guy on the radio is going, buddy, it's four games in. What are you talking about? Carey Price, you fini là. Carey Price is not done. It was four games into the year. He went on it. It was a heart trophy year. That was his heart trophy season. And four <laughs> games in, they're like, it's done, buddy. Kind yeah, like, they, they may on. have spoke a little too soon. It's it's absolutely that's what happens when you have this kind of status over your head. Um, everyone, not everyone, likes to see a failure because that's not necessarily true. It's that um, it's more sensational when a giant falls, and the, the Islanders fell over themselves in the first two games, and so like that combined with the fact that you know the expectations were a cup. You're going, woof, okay, this does not look like a cup team through two games. No, and I don't think, you know, you're not, or I'm not going to say that they did look like a cup contender after their first two games. I think that's just the point that we wanted to get across here was, like, let's let's take a step back and really think how, how little of the season. At that point, it was like 2.4% of the season after the first two games. <laughs> nice. It's not a lot. <laughs> There's so much more left. No, absolutely, but... Um, is there anything, sorry, go ahead. Yes. I was going to say, I, I was going to answer your question with one more thing. We spoke about Chara and, and his, you know, not playing very well, nor did Andy Green for that fact, nor did Ryan Pollock through those first two games either, or Scott Mayfield. So basically every single defenseman did not play well. Noah Dobson did not earn the, uh, the platitudes of the coach either. So you have Adam Pollock who played well, but through the off season, right? We lose Nick Letty and, and the idea was like, well, we got to bring a Nick Letty in. 
And the Islanders did not do that, right? So everyone's calling for Robin Salo to come in or Sebastian Ajo to play. And I've, I've got to tell you, like, in the first two games or after those first two games, you do not call up a rookie, a European rookie, to be like, fix this, please. No. This is not a Robin Salo fix this, please situation. I want to see Robin Salo in the NHL as soon as possible. I do not want to see him in this situation. And if you thought Barry Trotz would be like, oh, they raised a good point. Thank you very much. No, he would not have done that. That the man who screams, you know, we have to build their confidence, isn't about to throw him to the wolves quite literally. Yeah, that that's not, you wouldn't put Salo in a, in a fair situation because then he'd be thrown in, expected to play significant minutes on a cup contending team. Like, I understand that, yes, he's a puck mover, which is something that they, I guess they don't have, but that wasn't to me, that wasn't their biggest issue through the first two games. It was the de- defensive structure, which, I mean, you know better than, than I do, but he, that's not his strength. He's not a, you know, a defensive defenseman. He is good in transition. He's good at moving the puck, but he's not someone who's going to be... Like, for instance, in, in the game where Char was a minus four, is he going to fare better down low? Than what Zanino Char did there? I don't think so. No, it's just not. Like, you're asking a European rookie to step in and be like, cool, not only do you have to adjust immediately to the uh, smaller ice surface, which is something that he's going to have to do anyways, um, but we're going to ask you to do that while being completely shelled because our system relies on us being sound in our own end. So we're going to have wave upon wave of forwards attacking us. And you've just really got to know where to be at all times. Excuse me? And you thought like, yes, maybe not you listener, but someone who may have had that thought in their head that Robin Salah could fix this. You thought that putting him in this situation would be a good idea? I get that you want to see a transition player. I get that you want to see a skater out there. But let's not put him into this situation. And game three went better, so maybe it's trending in the right direction. Uh, but let, let's give him some time. He's also only three games in, I believe, maybe four games into his AHL career. Uh, so let, let's slow the horn down a little bit here on Robin Salo uh, and even Sebastian Ajo for that fact. It would have been the same thing for Sebastian Ajo. Unfair to him to be like, cool, fix it, Mr. Sebastian Ajo. No, this is not a Sebastian Ajo thing to fix. This is a team thing to fix. Yeah, what does he have, like seven games in the NHL over the last three years? Right? Like, What are we asking him exactly? Um, the other thing is that, well, why didn't we go and get someone? Well, like, the prices are pretty high for puck-moving defensemen. Uh, they're not necessarily being moved necessarily either, but when you're looking at, like, the trades over the last couple of uh, weeks and, and months, uh, and I'm just having my screen refresh here, like, what puck-mover do you think um, was traded? Ethan Bear, maybe? Right? But, like, you're going to trade a 30-point player because that's what they sent to uh, to Edmonton and, and Warren Fogle. They sent a 30 to 20 point player, although like it's a little bit more than that over a full NHL season. Do the Islanders have that to give? I don't think so. No, right? So like, where are they going to get this? Oh, trade their first, trade this, trade that. Okay, cool. But like, they've got to hold off because they, they can't just like be shedding off these assets necessarily. Uh, they're going to have to wait until the trade deadline to maybe get a puck mover. Um, so until then, they're going to have to hold the fort. Yeah, they'll hold it down. They'll see. And who knows? Maybe there'll be an injury. I mean, we talked about Chara's age. Andy Green's 39, 38. 
38, yeah. 38. So, I mean, maybe they're, they're – obviously we hope not, but if there is an injury, then Lou might say, okay, I'll swallow my pride, go out and trade for a puck mover now. But at this point, I don't see them making a change, which is pretty much what we've been <laughs> trying to get at this whole first intro. Right, exactly. They've got to sort out the system before they can even make a tinker because if they don't uh, – that sounds like they have to go for a P when I just said um, – <laughs> They have to go make a tinker, huh? Um, no, like they have to figure themselves out before they, they, they change anything around because if they don't do that, you're just compounding the problem and it's going to get worse. Game three was better. They're trending in the right direction, but there's still some more to go here. Absolutely. But I think one positive that we could really get into a little bit deeper here and deserving. So Oliver Walster, man, three goals in his first three games this year Two, I mean, three of them in his last two two in the most recent game just an unbelievable performance what have you thought of this kid so far on pace for 82 goals i say he does it <laughs> you know i don't see a reason why he can't no but there, there's a whole lot to like in oliver Wallstrom game obviously the points and like the immediate stat line stands out but for me and i wrote this today on the site it's his overall play like you you look at that game against chicago and the play that he makes to score his first goal, right? That is a strong uh, defensive play. He's going up to the blue line and making sure that they don't have an outlet pass. And he's right there in the lane, intercepts it. And then, and then he pulls off all of these stops. Like he dekes around Zach Parise, who's trying to get out of the way. Dekes around another defenseman and then flies up high. You know, Marc-André Fleury, who's a pretty darn good goalie. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's it's pretty impressive to see what he was able to do in, you know, a, a really difficult circumstance. I know Marc-Andre Fleury isn't, you know, what he was last year, especially with the defense that's in front of him in Chicago, but just the kind of stuff that he was doing, the awareness, I thought, was what stood out to me. It wasn't so much of, oh, wow, that was him just putting his ridiculous shot on display. It was his hockey IQ in a lot of ways, being put on display, which is almost more impressive. It, it really is. Like he leads the team in individual Corsi for uh, individual. No, not that's John Gabriel Petro, Individual scoring chances for a ten. Anthony Bovilli's next at nine, and then Matthew Barzell's third at six. Um, like he's well ahead of most of the team in terms of offense, of course, and, and that's the strength of his game. It's never going to not be that. But to combine what we've seen offensively from Oliver Wallstrom with the defensive side of things, uh, we have to remember what Barry Trott said, like, what is it, two years ago when he was sent to the AHL at a camp? Like, he's got all the talent in the world, but he needs to learn how to play the game. That was two years ago. And, like, he turned it around, right? Yeah. Yeah, to me, that just shows, you know, two years ago, it was uh, this guy's got a lot of raw skill and he's a you know a very talented player he just has to mature in you know figuring out what I have to do to be successful at this level and again it's it's early right now but the the positive signs are are there and they were there in flashes last year I'm just hoping this year it's a little bit more consistent and considering who he is playing with which is kind of where I wanted to go with next in the conversation here I, I I expect it to stay because the Parise, Pajot, and Wallstrom line, again, I know it's early, but the return has been maybe even better than what I expected it to be. Oh, yeah, they're soundly better than the second line, and the second line has been um, 
a, a steady top line for the Islanders for for years now, right? The, the, the triple Bs have been have done exactly what Barry Trotz has wanted, and they've they've provided production. Now you're getting that out of the third line as well, right? In the Parise, Peugeot, Wallstrom line, which uh, wasn't necessarily based off of numbers, and by numbers they mean like underlying Corsi's expected goals for so on and so forth. Uh, weren't necessarily the best line for the Islanders against the Chicago Blackhawks. They weren't far off. They were, they were second, and it was really close to the Barzal line. But they had more ice time than the Barzal line. So they, they were trusted to do more. And, and that means a lot, right? Like, I, I tweeted out earlier today as well, going, in these three games, they have already played 25 and a half minutes together. The combination of Leo Komarov, Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, and Oliver Wallstrom together for 27 games last year played 65 minutes. I think it was like 65 and something or other, like almost 67 minutes, sorry, 66, I should say. They've got a third of that in three games. In, in another six games, they're going to eclipse that. So then by nine games into the season, they'll have more ice time than 27 games. The other, like that's, that shows how trusted they are. Yeah, absolutely. It shows already that, and it's been noticeable, like eye test wise. It feels like that line is out there more, which we're we're both a, a fan of. I mean, Pajot, we know how useful he is in the faceoff dot. He he's, does everything well. Wallstrom has that shot, and Parise, man, I he turned on the burners a little bit in that game yesterday. There was one play I was like, oh, that's a nice play, Anthony Bovilli. I'm like, wait, no, that's 37 year old Zach Parise making that play. You can tell the chip is there, and he's he's got something to. He shouldn't have anything to prove at this at this point of his career, uh, but he clearly does, or feels like he does. You know, being bought out like the way he was, and, and how it happened, uh, obviously kind of burned him a little bit, and rightfully so. Uh, so he's still got something to to prove, and he's proving it so far. It's only three games; it's still early, but like you said, the return on this early investment, which again is league minimum. League minimum is really good. He has no points, uh, but the points will come, right? Something Barry Trotz will say verbatim if you ever speak to him. The points will come specifically because of the way that he, Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, and Oliver Walsham are playing. Well, I mean, different circumstances because one was kind of just getting his feet wet in the NHL. But last year, if you remember, Oliver Wallstrom was struggling to get pucks in the net but he was getting his his shots were there and I remember in all the post game shows we were talking about ah he you know he didn't get anything to go but you know three or four shots on goal he looked good he was in good places and then what do you know he started to score goals and the points started to come I feel that same way with you know with Parise and you know I test wise just watching him out there that line just looks like they already have chemistry which is crazy to think because it's only been a couple of games here yeah, absolutely. And of course, there's a third line. Um, so their deployment is, um, how should I say this? They're, they're getting cushy deployments, but they're also getting defense first deployments. You look at their defense, their defense's own starts. For Peugeot, I haven't looked at it since the third game, but I would imagine it's in the high 60s. It was 77% when I looked at it before game three. So like, that's already really high, right? You're, you're talking well over three quarters of the time he's in the D zone first. And he's still generating positive expected goals for, like in the 60 percentiles, um, and positive Corsi for. So that means he's able to translate that defense into offense. And the same thing goes for Zach Parise. It's a little bit lower than Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, just because Peugeot's a centerman, so he takes more draws specifically in the D zone. But he's still in the D zone at least 60% of the time. I believe he was 65. I'm sure that went down a little bit after the Chicago game. 
but you're going almost a third of the time, sorry, two-thirds of the time he's in the D zone, and he's also just as effective as Jean-Gabriel Peugeot in generating offense out of the defensive zone. Like, what? Are, this is incredible. Like, yes, they're getting cushy deployments, but they're making something out of it. Yeah, you ended it exactly how I was going to start out with what I was going to say, is they're making the most of their opportunities, which is something that you really can't say about that line in years gone by. Yeah, Paris a 59.4% defensive zone start, so obviously that took a hit against Chicago, but that's still well over half the time. Uh, and, and then I, I want to look up Peugeot real quick here while I'm on this, on this topic and this train of thought. 71.8% in the D zone, 28.2% in the O zone. He's rarely in the offensive zone to start a shift, and he's still generating. Uh, his course here is 53.8%. 53.8% Corsi 4 at five, in all situations, of course. So let's maybe do 5 on 5 here. Uh, at 5 on 5, 54.9%. It gets better. better. Good. Right, obviously, because I guess he does do a lot of uh, shorthanded situations. And he's still, he starts 69% of the time, exactly, nice, <laughs> in the D zone. And is 54.9% Corsi 4. Think about that. He starts over two-thirds of the shifts in the D zone and is still generating a positive shot share. What do we... This is incredible. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, obviously we kind of started about debunking some of the narratives early on in the year that haven't been good. But one of the positives, it has to be this. This is circled in, in red ink in a positive way, saying this, pointing to this, this is why the Islanders are going to have success because they are deeper than what they have been the last couple of years. Yeah, well, as soon as Anders Lee figures out his tum-tum situation, um, you've got a top line that is clicking. You know, maybe not as effective as we wanted it necessarily, but it's going to get there. I'm not, I'm not really worried about it. The second line showed some signs of life yesterday. So, like, work, working improvement there. Third line is fine. And the fourth line, the second Matt Martin came back, was just, I don't know how this happens, but he gets there and just turns everything around. And if those four lines click as well as we know they can and have done in the past, the Islanders are easily the deepest team in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, you look at what Anders Lee could bring to that top line. And with all due respect to Kiefer Bellows, man, it, it just wasn't the same top line. Man. That's maybe if you want to go back to the negatives for a second, the Kiefer Bellows, woof, that was not a great look for him. But, and then you have Matt Martin come back on the fourth line after running Ross Johnston for about, I don't know, 90 seconds in his first game. And then Leo Komarov played on the fourth line in game two. Matt Martin comes in, plays his 11, 12 minutes a night, and that fourth line just looks like they turn back the clock five years. It really does. It's some sort of symbiosis um, when they're both, all, sorry, I shouldn't say both, all three of them are out there. They just get stuff done. It's so cerebral that they, they, it's unmatched. And you put someone else out there and it's they can't really replicate it. I, I know we've talked about uh, Ross Johnson being essentially Matt Martin 2.0 because they play the same style. But that clearly doesn't mean you could just plop him in there. Uh, not only because it, it just doesn't work, you know, uh, emotionally or, or even chemically, I suppose. But Barry Trotz clearly does not trust Ross Johnson to be out there for more than he needs to. No, which there goes the argument of Ross Johnson is just Matt Martin. Because, well, clearly that's not the case if you're going to play one for 12 minutes and the other for five. 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 This so It's so useless. I like. Barry Trotz is a great NHL coach, and clearly he knows what he's doing behind a bench. But to play a guy 
five minutes. It was really rounded up, let's say, six minutes. Mm-hmm. And a guy who didn't take a fighting major, wasn't expelled, wasn't um, uh, didn't didn't get um, I got injured. He did justifiably he had all the whole sixty minutes, and he still ended up with only six minutes. That is not Matt Martin ice time. That is I don't trust you to be out there enough. No, that's <laughs> that's Otto Koivula ice time. Right, clearly. So, like, we have to put... Russ Johnson is not going to make this team better. He's just not. And I know people like him, and, and that's perfectly fine. I'm sure he's he could be a better player on a different team. Yeah, the Islanders just have a better version of him. Exactly, right? So, like, he should go to... Maybe not the Rangers, but, like, any other team who's looking for an enforcer once the Islanders are done their window, look out, Ross Johnson is coming, and he's going to get paid... One million dollar to do it, which is great. I, I that's incredible. What a, what a good payday for him, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, and he he's he's a really good fighter. I mean, he he is. He's good at at that. But again, Barry doesn't want to play in more than six or seven minutes a night. It's it is what it is at this point. We're kind of beating a dead horse with him. It is, but like we started this talking about Wallstrom, and let's end it talking about Wallstrom. Um, three goals. We've always talked about, and not even just us, but everyone, you listening as well, the Islanders need a sniper. If this kid keeps going on the track that he's going on, this is the sniper. And of course, it, it was obvious day one when they drafted him that that would be the mold that he could fill. But it looks like he's starting to fill that mold that they believed he could fill back in 2018. Love that. Absolutely love it. I, I know how, where I stand on this, and I think I know where you stand too, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Do you move him or do you keep him right on the third line? You keep him on the third line. You do like the only reason we, we talked about ever like putting him up on the top line is because well the top line wasn't working. Right? Like the only reason you you talk about Oliver Wallstrom moving from that third line is because you don't like anything else above that. And we can get into like the maybe the Josh Bailey should bump down a bit. Um and fine, but I say keep this line together, just give him more ice time, bump down line two. That that's all, really. Yeah, I'm good with that. That doesn't bother me at all. I, I'm very comfortable with the Islanders' middle six. If they decided to swap him, I would have no ill will towards Barry Trotz for that. Right, like he he being Barry uh, Wallstrom averaged 12-23 last year. He already has fourteen thirty in this in his last, most recent game. So if we're if we're adding two minutes to his ice time, I'm good with that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with that, do you want to get into down on the farm? Let's do it. Um, William Tufel just keeps on keeping on. Um, he played today, just finished maybe an hour or two before we hit the microphone, um, put up four points, two goals, two assists. He now leads the QMJHL in goals with seven. And I'm just trying to bring up his full stat line here to give you a kind of glimpse as to what he's doing. But I believe he's also sixth in the entire league for production. Uh, and we're not talking about two or three games here. We're talking about eight games into the season now. Uh, and he he's pulling away from everyone, uh, and he's scoring all types. He's uh, providing assists on all types. It, it's really impressive to see a fifth round pick dominate this league. Yeah, that's that's something you love to see. Um, the fact that he just can't stop scoring goals. I feel like every time I'm on Twitter, either you or Nicole are tweeting about him scoring another goal. It, it really is. Every time he plays, he scores a goal or he puts up a point. Um, it's really imp- impressive that they picked this kid up in the fifth round. I-, I don't understand how he went into the fifth round uh, unpicked, 
but it, it that's exactly what happened. It's absolutely ridiculous. I can't believe it. Uh, the Islanders, I'm not going to say got a steal yet because just because he's doing well at the QMJHL level doesn't mean he's going to tear up the NHL. Um, but Corey Pronman from The Athletic already has him. He redrafted the, NA, the 2020 draft and he bumped his folk up to 55th overall. Wow. Okay, so that's a big time jump forward from him like that. Yeah. So good stuff going on there from from Williams full uh next I spoke to Alex Jeffries the other day and the the one thing that that was really interesting in the chat is talking about the uh his injury that he suffered last year and some of the things that he's doing to kind of help him mitigate or, or maybe not get injured again of course you can't protect yourself fully unless you you devise one of those dune shields um, that you click your wrist and apparently, you know, you stop a bunch of things. Uh, but you're doing kinesthetics. So it's more like you're holding poses. It's not yoga. And I know the way I'm describing sounds like he's doing yoga, but like you, you, I guess you, you go into the movement, the, the, the muscular movement or the, the weightlifting or whatever you're doing. Clearly I'm not in the gym very much. Um, <clears throat> you hold that position to kind of work the muscle, uh, is some of the things. And that, that's some interesting stuff that, we're, 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 we're not used to hearing, right? It's just kind of like, I was in the gym and I built up as much muscle as I possibly can. And while yes, also the way I'm doing this is also trying to prevent me from picking up an injury throughout the year. Okay. Well, that I kind of like when that's where the conversation goes because it's not something that... I don't know. That's not like the first thing that pops into my mind when thinking prospects, but just to hear that perspective is different. I like that. Yeah, exactly. It's it's an, another side of things that we're not really used to hearing. He's having a good year over there in Merrimack, and I would imagine as long as he's healthy, he's going to continue to have a pretty good year. Um, Aturatu was another player I want to bring up here, was on a podcast in Finland, and I, I had someone translate the entire thing for me. I didn't have them. I, I asked them if they could help, and, and, and Tia, thankfully, translated the whole thing. I thought oh she'd just, God. like, listen to it and, like, pull out a few quotes here and there. No, no, she transcribed the whole thing. It's seven pages long. She put in some work, man. Put in some work. That's impressive. Shout out. That That's phenomenal. Wow. And one of the things that, that really stuck out to me throughout the entire interview, and I won't read the whole thing over because it's seven pages long, is the Islanders, we talked about injury, they're... And maybe they're not the only NHL team that does this, but their proactiveness when it comes to concussions. Um, so he got hit in a game, and I, I forget. I'm trying to find the 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 the, the, the excerpt here. Uh, concussion. There it is. Uh, where does he say it is? Either way, he got hit, uh, and they did uh, against Philly. He got hit in the head by Konechny from a blind angle. So they checked uh, afterwards. To make sure that he was okay. Like they did a concussion check on him after the game. So not during the game, right? When the concussion spotter is like, hey, hey, you come to the side. No, they, they made sure after the game to be like, we're checking you to make sure you don't have any concussion symptoms. That's not something you hear from the NHL. Usually it's like, no, no, you're, you're good. You can see straight. You're good. Peace. I don't want to hear from you again. Now, do they check this kid after in a preseason game? Yeah, I like that. And like. Like, let's be honest here. He's not very high up on the pecking order. Um, I think he even kind of admitted that to you in, in his conversations. But just, 
it's the right thing to do, which is, I guess, on brand for, for Lou and Barry, you know, doing that. Thank God. But I, I am glad to see that, you know, they kind of went out of their way for the kid in that spot, which was good. Absolutely. Like, even Barry Trotz at one point asked, like, where are you from again? Has no <laughs> idea. No <laughs> idea. Oh, so, like, great. when we ask Barry Trotz, are you following up on, on Aturatu? He's going to give a very polite answer, but no, for damn sure, he is not. He's not. He does. It's not that he doesn't care about the kid. It's that his job is to coach the players in front of him now. And it's the Islanders' job and the player development's team to develop this kid and, and monitor him and then maybe report back to him. But, like, he's not going to care until he's in front of his face. That's right. what a coach is supposed to do. That is so far down on his list of concerns right now that, I mean, I'm sure he has people keeping tabs for him and stuff like that, as you said, but he, he's not like staying up late at night watching Aturatu film from over in Finland. He he is not. He The second Aturatu left, he forgot that he plays for Karpat. Forgot. Yeah. So, he, yeah, he has more important things. Um, the last thing is Dimitro Timoshov is in Sweden. So he was bought out, not maybe not bought out, but his contract was terminated by the Islanders and is now uh, joined Brunus in Sweden. So uh, they're really excited to have him there. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. It, it didn't really go well for him here with the Islanders. Remember, he they picked him up for future considerations from the Detroit Red Wings and just yep. nothing ever came of it, really. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, we'll see what he does there. Obviously, it didn't really work out. He only played one game, I think, with the Islanders, right? Yeah, that's right. He played the one. Nothing really of it. Had 11 points in 22 games for the Sound Tigers last year. Played one game with them this year, and then nothing of it. All right. So we'll we'll see if anything happens with him over there. But, yeah, just unfortunately didn't work out. No, it is. I, I'm interested in this. Not in so much as just a Dimitri Timoshev, but because he's going to Brunus and he's a winger, I'm kind of... Looking out for Alexander Leonkrantz, the third-round pick in 2020. Uh, I haven't seen him listed on the roster. I haven't seen him listed on the U20 roster. I've reached out to my contact at the team to be like, so what's going on with him? And I have not heard anything yet. So I, I'm not going to say he's he's going to be moved. Um, but I'm interested to see what's going on with Alexander Leonkrantz there because he might, at the very least, move back down to the U20 squad a little bit more permanently. Gotcha. Okay, so got to keep a tab over there too. Yeah. All right, so should we get into the quiz now? Let's do it. Excited. Every week, Mystery New York Islander for you at home and you, Matt, to guess, specifically you, Matt, because I can't hear the people at home. Um, <laughs> you have five clues to guess who this player is. has nothing to do with 218. Um, are you ready? Let's do it. Okay, clue number one. I've played for the Des Moines Buccaneers and the University of Minnesota. University of Minnesota. Nick Letty. Incorrect. I've only ever played for two NHL teams so far. Two NHL teams. Okay, next. Three. The Isles pulled me basically out of college because my college team wasn't making me better. I feel like I should know this. So, like, they signed him to a contract, and they kind of essentially convinced him to leave college and become a pro because they didn't like what was going on there. Okay, next. Four. My best year at the NHL level was 69 points, nice, in 71 games. 69 points in 71 games? What the hell is it? 
Number five is leaving the aisles wasn't ideal and getting Andrew Ladd to, re to replace me was even worse. Oh, Kyle Oposo. It is Kyle oh, Oposo. Okay. So yeah, he had some good stats over in, in college, but Gar Snow was not happy of him playing center because he was not a center. He's a winger. Uh, but they kept putting him there because they had too many wingers at the University of Minnesota. Uh, and, and the reason I bring him up is because Kyle's on fire right now, has three points in the first three games of the Buffalo Sabres, who are now apparently Stanley Cup contenders. I am very happy for Kyle. He was a great Islander. Obviously, things haven't gone well for him in Buffalo, um, but I would like to see him do well. He's a good guy. Absolutely. And we, we talk about you know the Andrew Ladd situation and, and and then you, probably your immediate thought is like, well, you know, Andrew or sorry, Kyle hasn't really lit up the league either. Well, in his first two years in Buffalo, he put up what was essentially 90 points, right? 45 points in 65 games, which is pretty damn good, right? Over an 82 game pace, that's 57 points. And then you that's got good. another 44 point year in 76 games. I, I don't know about you, but we have not seen that type of production, never saw that type of production combined from Andrew Ladd. No, no. So the, the the price point is higher, but he was still worth his his weight uh, or worth that contract at least through the first year or two. Not the case for Andrew Ladd. No, never, never, not 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 a once lived up to it. No, not at all. So let's get to the social segment. See what's bouncing around on Isles Twitter. What do we got this week, Mitch? Um, the first thing, uh, just a brief thing on, on searching through Isles Twitter, whenever you search hashtag Isles, now it's just bringing up any tweet that's got Islanders in it. I hate that, by the way. That's made it so much more difficult for me. Yeah, you got like the Pacific Islanders type of in, the, in there. Charlottetown Islanders, right? That's a, a QMJHL team. And it's not what I'm looking for. I, I appreciate Google trying to help or Google Twitter trying to help me there, but it was not helpful at all. No. Absolutely My first not. tweet comes from UBS saying, getting ready to bring the Isles hockey home. The ice resurfacers have arrived. And a lot of people were like, um, you mean a Zamboni? No, Zamboni's like Kleenex. It's a brand. They have Olympia ones. Oh, so the, the, they went, you went a little bit like literal man on that. I did. Or I guess they did technically. They did. They, the ice resurfacers have arrived and you see the big Olympia sign there. Um, Zambonis were invented by apparently an American, Frank J. Zamboni Jr. And he invented him in 1949. And the early prototype was a Jeep. So he just drove a Jeep around with like the whatever machine that, that scrapes the ice and then it puts the hot water down. Uh, he did that on a Jeep back in 1949. Smart guy. Apparently, yeah. Uh, first one for me comes from NHL public relations account, and it just says the NHL family is with you, Mike Bossy. And if you don't know what the context of that is, he was diagnosed with lung cancer uh, and he came out and, uh, with a statement and kind of just re released that information to the public. So wanted to send our best wishes to Mike Bossy and the Bossy family. Absolutely. Best wishes to the boss. You're going to get it. It'll, it'll be all. You'll be able to buy, uh, fight this one off for sure. Absolutely. Next up. Mine comes from Jim Amusing, and who says, Speaking as a longtime fan, this organization needs to move on from the 80s. And this is in direct response oh. to B-Comp sharing a video of the banners going up at the UBS arena. I'm sorry, what? 
every team and not just talk every team in every sport ever has their their banners up for when they've won in the rafter like every single one it's not like a unique islanders thing what is that comment i don't like they have to move on from the 80s I'm sorry, do we not have to celebrate? Or let me not even celebrate. Acknowledge that they won a Stanley Cup, something that's really hard to do four times in a row. And they're the only team to ever do that since the expansion, right? Since that big expansion, they're the only team to ever do that. So what are we talking about here? Yeah, you can say like, hey, I'm really glad that they've did they've done that and like not be stuck in the 80s technically. Yeah, I don't know. That's a bad comment. Don't like it that. was absolutely wild. Like I can't believe someone thinks that they need to get over the eighties. Look, yeah, we need to come into the modern era. Have you not seen the billion dollar arena going up? <laughs> that much, yeah. <laughs> I don't Oh boy. Oh my god. What are you gonna do? Yeah, may, maybe if we, we could step away from the eighties if we had, you know, competent management before Lou Lamarolo and Barry Trot stepped in. You yeah, know, he, maybe we'd be there. Yeah, um, unfortunately, Mike Milbury and Garth Snow had a lot to say about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My my last one comes from Brendan Burke, and he says, man, that does sound like an entertaining broadcast with like a, a smirk face. And the quote tweet that he is referencing is, I'll read you the quote tweet now. It says, the NHL needs more broadcasts like the Red Wings, in which one person calls the game with the incredibly descriptive detail, and the other person is your lovable grandpa unbashedly cheering for the home team. <laughs> I'm sorry, is this the first time someone's watched the NHL? Yeah, I, I guess. I feel like that's just about every broadcast. But that that describes to a T Brendan and Butchie, easily. Yeah, exactly, which is what Brendan is obviously okay. saying here. But it, it's, it's, it's perfect. But that's like, that's the thing that I always hated with... Uh, broadcast especially national broadcast or just sometimes in the broadcast industry in general is people are trying too much to be like the utmost professional unbiased and stuff like that for the team broadcast like the team specific ones the islanders we have brendan and butch islanders fans are the ones tuning in they want to see it through the islanders lens you're not going to get if the islanders are playing the stars dallas the dallas stars aren't watching the msg feed so, like, yeah, give it to me through the Islanders lens, man. I don't care. That doesn't yeah. bother me. Do I care that Butchie wants a penalty shot every other game? No, that's part of the charm. Yeah. And and I, I accept that, and I, and I realize that. Of course, it's not always the case because you, you do get the uh, the Boston Bruins. I forget his name. Not that it matters. Um, you get that kind of broadcast, and, and they, they can be a little bit much sometimes. Way too homery. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember from the playoffs. Remember the quotes that were coming out? Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. Um, but but speaking of that, that's kind of like my last tweet here, and it, it's on, on broadcasting. It's from Dan Maraza, who says, This is why Jigs McDonald and Ed Westfall are broadcasting legends, all caps. I was researching something and stumbled across a broadcast from the first ever Islanders game against the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim from 93. And guys, they're wearing the, Ana du- the, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks like shield, the duck build like face shield while they're talking to each other with their glasses over top of the masks. And it's it's perfect. I, I this is that's perfect broadcasting. They're they're not poking fun at themselves, they're just having a good time and they're being entertaining while informing with that per- perfection. Yes, Dan's right. They are legends. 
Yes, that is, I agree 1000%. That's what it's supposed to be. A, a wise man once told me that sports is supposed to be like two guys just hanging out at the bar, having a drink, talking about the game. It doesn't have to be so buttoned up and formal. So that that's a perfect example of it. I love it. Absolutely. So that was the last thing that I had. Me as well. So let's get some plugs in here before we go. Wherever you're listening to the show, please make sure to subscribe. Give a rating and review. That really helps us out a lot. We appreciate all the love and support. You can follow along with us on social media, on Twitter, Eyes on Isles FS. I'm on Twitter at Matt O'Leary NY. Mitch is over at TLO Mitch. Facebook, Facebook.com, Eyes on Isles. Um, the website, Eyes on Isles.com. You can get us on the fan-sided app. Eyes on Isles, uh, just search in the fan-sided app. We'll come up there. You could get it right. Push notifications on your phone. And last but not least, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash eyes on Isles. You get bonus content there for $5 a month. You get a post-game show after each and every single game, a mailbag show, which we're about to record right after this, and uh, access to a Discord channel, which is a whole lot of fun over there. Yeah, Discord is popping off all the time, every time. Um, I haven't looked at it just now while we were recording the show. Um, yeah, I don't know. The whole talking about Gus isn't suspected reason why Gus isn't signing league mini, minimum in Chicago over us. Ooh, boy, let's talk about that on the on the Discord. So head on over there. Absolutely, that's going to do it for us on this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. I'm Matt O'Leary. He is Mitch Anderson, and we'll talk to you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.